Well, good morning. As uh, Brian said, Mike is out of town today, and so I have the privilege to preach. Actually, I really think the reason I'm preaching is because next Sunday, Mike is ending his series in the book of Matthew, which we've been in for five years, I think he said, in two months. Uh, and he wanted just to prolong that a little bit more before he actually got done because it might be a sad time for him. But in the meantime, I get to fill in today and uh, we're going to be looking at the, the book of Luke uh, this morning. And uh, one of the things that took place between the resurrection and uh, the ascension uh, of Christ who is on the road with uh, a couple of disciples uh, to Emmaus. If you would turn to Luke chapter 24, this is where we're going to be begin today. Luke chapter 24. We're going to start at verse 13, and is our custom and honor of the reading of God's Word, if you would stand with me. It's a little bit of a longer passage, but uh, first hour did okay, so I think we'll be fine with the second hour as well. Luke 24, 13, these are God's words to us. It says, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth. A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of our women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village in which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Lord, we thank you for this morning, this time for us that you've given us to be here together to worship you and ask by your spirit that we would understand your word and that we would love Jesus more. We pray this because of Jesus. Amen. So this is one of these stories in the Bible that we get the privilege of looking and seeing things take place. There's a little bit of irony happening. There's, uh, there's some humor in it that's going on. But uh, I say it's a privilege for us to see what's taking place because we are like in a novel or a movie 
from the outside looking in. We can see who all the characters are. We can see who are the people involved in this that are revealed to us that are not revealed to these two disciples who are walking down the road. And as they are, Scripture tells us here, they are coming from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And on that very day, the day that Christ was to have risen from the dead, is when they are traveling on this road. And as they're going along, they're talking through things, they're trying to sort out some emotions and feelings and all the things that they had been going through and witnessed and been a part of, of just the three days alone, uh, there in Jerusalem with Christ's mock trial taking place of his, of his beatings, of his, uh, his crucifixion, and then now this report that maybe he is alive. And so they're trying to understand, was this, was this report really true? Was Jesus alive? And as they walked along, they needed some clarity in their moment. They needed to understand what was happening. They needed the truth revealed to them. And in their unbelief, they needed to be rebuked. And in their confusion, they needed instruction. What they really needed was that they needed God to illuminate their hearts and minds so that they would love Jesus and understand Scripture. They needed to know God's illumination. They needed to know the source of that illumination. And they needed to know the results of that illumination. And so as they're traveling down this road here, verse 13, as we begin, it says that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So we got these these two disciples that are traveling down the road, and as I said, they were kind of confused. They need clarity and things, and they were having a discussion. It says that they were talking together. It was an intense discussion that was taking place. It wasn't a casual conversation about the weather, about how dusty the road was, or anything like that, but it was an intense conversation regarding all the things that had taken place. And as they were going along, Jesus draws near to them. They don't know who he is. They don't know what he is besides just another traveler. And he draws along and enters into the conversation. And how he enters in the conversation is there in verse 17. He says to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? He asks a question of them. And as we look further on in scripture, we'll see that Jesus then asks them another question. But before that, we see the response of the disciples. It says... They stood still looking sad. The emotion that's coming out. Just if you've ever been in an intense situation where you've struggled with with your feelings, your hurts, your fears, you know it can be emotionally draining. And for these disciples to have gone through what they did, they were with Jesus and heard his teachings. They saw the miracles that he performed. Then they went through the experience of this trial, his death. So they emotionally, they were spent. And Jesus comes alongside. They don't know it is Him, but He comes alongside them. And because their emotions were so raw and so spent, what they really, truly needed was God's illumination. They needed His illumination. And so Jesus continues as they're walking along. Verse 18 then says them, one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? 
Now, here's where a little bit of the irony of the situation comes in, is that here are these two disciples walking along with Jesus, asking him if he knew what had happened. Of course he did. He was there. He knew what happened. He experienced it. But they don't know. But as outside observers, we get to know this. Hopefully there's a little humor there that we can look at, irony in this, but it's definitely something that Jesus takes and uses the opportunity to be able to draw out from them a conversation to where they can talk through all the things that they're struggling with, all the things that they are are feeling. God revealing to them their unbelief. And he does this by asking this simple question, what things? What things are you talking about? It's a simple question, but it's effective. And it shows their struggle. And here's what we find out. We find out that when he asks this question, their need for the illumination brings out clarity to them. There's clarity that is brought forth. And in verse 19, it continues, And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. The things that that Jesus was asking him what they were discussing were the things that concerned Jesus. They recognized him as a man, yes, but also as a prophet. That as prophet, he was one that showed himself to be so because of the miracles that they, he performed. They were here, there perhaps at the feeding of the 5,000 when he blessed bread, broke it, gave it to all the people there. They were there when he healed a blind man, when he healed lepers when he forgave sin. They experienced all this. They knew and walked and learned and were taught by Jesus that he was this prophet. And because of these miracles, it even says that he was respected, that his mighty deeds and the word, the authority of his teaching was something that was, that was respected. But it was also something that was rejected. And we see that taking place because he talks about our rulers and the chiefs, the scribes, the people that were the leaders, the religious leaders who were willing to put their lives in, a, in eternal jeopardy by condemning Jesus, by turning him in, by wanting to see him killed. They recognized who Jesus was too, and they were concerned. And delivered him up to be crucified. But they go on and they said that they had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. They had been looking for Messiah to come. They had been looking for him to be the one to bring them out of the oppression that they were feeling from under the Roman government and rule. And to him have victory to bring Israel to a redemption. And little did they know that that's exactly what took place, but not in the way that they had imagined. But in their hearts and mind at this point, that one that was to be their deliverer was possibly alive, but they saw him die. They had a hint of them possibly being alive because it says, moreover, some of the women of our company, verse 22, amazed us. 
They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen, even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. They had heard that he was alive. It says that he were even amazed. Now, this, this being amazed is a little different than how we think of amazed. When we talk about being amazed, it's like, whoa, I can't believe that. That's great. That, it's good news. We're, we're so excited to hear it. But really, the amaze that, that, was, that they were experiencing here was more of an astonished skepticism. Yeah, it might be true. I'm not quite sure. Maybe I'll believe it if I see it. It's like on Tuesdays, um, we have, uh, as, a, as a pastoral staff, the opportunity to go out kind of to collect our week together to go have lunch together. And I know many of you have had the opportunity to go to lunch with Mike on occasion. And in doing so, you found out that he has a very interesting palate, uh, enjoys different foods. And as we go to some of these restaurants, I never thought of myself as a picky eater, but I suppose I am because I just pick what I know I like and eat it. Um, but here's Mike oh, you got to try this. It's so good. And it just had been freshly killed and yet to be cooked, you know? And you're wondering, do I really want this? So, so I get a little skeptical about whether... Do I take his word? Yeah, it's probably good, but I, I don't know. And that's kind of where these disciples were. Did Jesus come alive? Well, we, we heard something about it. He himself said something about it, but uh, maybe we, we just don't know. Even when they had detectives sent out there, they didn't quite know. Verse 24 says that some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So some of the disciples, men who they might believe more than women, went there to look themselves and gave the same report, but yet there's still that skepticism that took place. But Jesus is walking along with them. He understands, he knows what's taking place in their hearts and minds, the struggle that they're facing, the difficulties that they're having in accepting and grasping all that had gone on. And what he wants to do is, is to help them articulate what it is that they're struggling with by retelling the story of their personal experiences. And I know when we've ever been in, in struggles and when I've been in difficult situations, there are things that I need to find clarity on And how I do it is to be able to talk it through. Talk with somebody, maybe not looking for answers that they might give, but just that it would help me to clarify a situation and a struggle. And this is Jesus asking that question, what things to draw out from them, the things that they need to struggle with, to wrestle with, to bring clarity to. Sometimes we need to just step back from a situation and see it from a a different perspective. Now, I've never been to New York. Um, My wife has. I know a lot of people who have. And I understand, and from what I've seen um, through movies, television, that the cab drivers there aren't exactly the best. Or maybe they are the best because they actually get their passengers to where they're going without harm, at least physically. There's a story of of a man who'd gone to New York for his first visit, go on vacation there, and he was traveling... Uh, by cab to the Eiffel Tower. No, not the Eiffel Tower. That would have been a really long drive, wouldn't it? (laughs) Empire State Building. There we go. That would have been something. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's a, it was a big structure. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and as they're weaving through in and out traffic, he's using his horn and he's you know yelling at people and and the guy in the cab is just panicked. From where he's sitting, they're going to die. But they make it to the Empire State Building. He gets out and kind of collects himself after going through the emotional drama of, of being in a taxi cab in New York and then having to pay for it. And he gets on the elevator, goes to the top, gets to where he wants to go and looks out in this just beautiful sight of seeing the city. And as he leans over the edge and looks down, he suddenly realizes, you know what, what seemed like utter chaos to me when I was in that cab, from this perspective, from this vantage point, there's an order that's taking place. He can see the flow of traffic, cars coming to a stop, moving on, not the weaving in and out that he had experienced, but he had a change of perspective. And when we need clarity, when, when we need God's illumination in our hearts and lives, that illumination brings clarity to situations. When we can meet with somebody, we can talk with them, when we can go through all that we're feeling and struggling with. And not only do we meet with just people to talk with them, the way that we're going to receive the most valued clarity is to go to other believers because they are coming from the same place that we are. People who know God, who know Jesus, who love Him, who have a perspective that comes from God's Word. It's those godly people that we need to seek out when we need clarity, who will walk beside us as we go down that road, as these disciples had received from Jesus as He walked beside them as they went down the road. But there's also another side to that clarity that we need, there's also another side to helping us with the emotions that we struggle with, with the things that are hurting in our lives, and that is, that is God's Word. Because it is the source of where we receive guidance and direction. When we need comfort, when we are hurting, when we need encouragement, when we feel defeated, we need the Word of God. We need to go to the Word. We need to study the Word. We need to be in the Word. Because it is the illumination of God's word that really brings correction into our hearts. See, the disciples that were on the road, they had a little bit of a problem. They sort of kind of believed that maybe Jesus was alive. But they didn't know that completely and they didn't know that for sure. And it was going to take the illumination of God's word in their life in order for them to understand and to see just what it is that they were skeptical about, just to see what it needed to happen in their life of their unbelief being changed they needed guidance they needed direction they needed to to understand scripture more completely see they didn't really have an incomplete view of, or they didn't really have a complete view of scripture it was the scripture it was a little bit incomplete you know these these were good jewish travelers here they had been to synagogue they had heard the scriptures being read they probably read them themselves but they had a partial understanding of scripture and what Jesus is going to do is reveal to them not a partial understanding of Scripture, but all of Scripture. And so he rebukes them. He says to them, verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now when he's calling them foolish, that can be taken away as like, ah, you know, are they just kind of fool-like? clown might be goofing around not really talking were they ignorant 
Could be that. But in the Greek it says here, anatos, for the word fool, means dull. They weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer here. And it says that they were slow of heart. And the word in the Greek there when we talk about slow of heart is brandus, which means stupid. So Jesus is walking with them, talking with them. He comes alongside and he said, Oh, dull, stupid men. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in a situation and somebody's traveling with me that I just had met, and they turn and say to me, Oh, dull and stupid Doug. I'm not sure I would take that very well. In fact, I'd probably say, you know, good walking with you. I'm pulling off over here to the 7-Eleven. Grab me some sunflower seeds and a bottle of water. I will see you in Emmaus. Isn't that how we might respond? But there must have been something behind his rebuke that caused them to want to listen. Maybe it was compassion that was coming through. Maybe it was the authority that they had heard and learned and understood from Jesus. But for some reason, they wanted to listen. They wanted to hear. They wanted to continue on this journey with him. And so Jesus begins to explain the scriptures to him. He begins with Moses and all the prophets. And he gives them the source of God's illumination. The source of God's illumination being all of scripture. Not just part of it, but all of it. It says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Such a small little word here, all. But he didn't leave anything out because these disciples' understanding of God's word was incomplete. And he was going to show them how the things that had happened to him, how his death, how his his life, how his resurrection had been foretold in the Old Testament. In fact, all of the Old Testament was testifying to that leading up to the moment, the moment that he would rise again. And as he's going along, I'm sure he gave those travelers one of the greatest Old Testament expositions in history. And it was only a congregation of two. Jesus could have very well gathered a huge number of people together, but instead he chose two men two people, two disciples on the road here to remind them how the fall of mankind apparently showed the victory of Satan. That as he came in the form of a serpent, he was told that the seed, the offspring of the woman, will crush your head and you will strike his heel in Genesis 3.15. And and it it was foretold in the story of the struggle between death and life visible in the life of Abraham who was willing to sacrifice his own son Isaac of Joseph how Joseph preserved a whole nation through his brothers who wanted to destroy him of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt after they had been saved from the angel of death through the sign of the blood that had been put over the doorpost as a Passover the explicit the implicit things that are unfolded in God's word in the Old Testament concerning Jesus. How the Israelites escaped death in the wilderness from the plague of serpents when they looked trustingly at the serpent that Moses raised up on the pole. Pointing out, as Christ taught this himself, that he would be lifted up on the cross. I'm sure Jesus would have probably taken the time 
to discuss to these, these disciples who are thinking this through, probably silent and, and wondering in the heart how the suffering servant of, of Jehovah was all over the passages of Isaiah. He would have recounted how the nation of Israel, when taken into exile and brought back again to rebuild Jerusalem, was a symbol a symbol of the greater redemption through personal salvation that would come through faith in Christ. All these things, proof that Jesus had fulfilled all that had been prophesied in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament, the centuries of writings that took place in anticipation, in anticipation of His passion and the triumph over life and death that would prove without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was Messiah. Their earlier fears, their earlier concerns of whether or not Jesus was Messiah had been foretold in Scripture that, yes, He was. And the truth about Him was revealed and salvation was seen throughout all of Scripture. Not just part of it, but all of it. And it says that when they arrived at their destination, they urged Him to stay with them. Perhaps they wanted to hear more of what Jesus had to tell could have possibly been that they were just being gracious hosts and seeing that it was dark and getting late in the evening, they invited him to come in and have a meal with them. And it's really interesting here because in culture, in the times when people sat down with the meal, the person who was the host, the one who was uh, inviting people to come in, would be the one to break the bread, would be the one to start the meal off. But it wasn't one of these travelers who did that. Who was it? It was Jesus himself who broke the bread. And again, it might have been the authority that they saw that he had, that they allowed him to take the place of, of the person who is responsible for the, for the hosting and broke that bread for them. But we see something that was remarkable. Because he blessed the bread, he broke it to them, gave it to them, and it says that their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then in an instant, he was gone. He was gone in that instant. And this simple act of breaking bread and Christ being revealed to them produced a dramatic revelation in their lives. Verses 32 and 33 talks about their response. They say, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road while He opened the Scriptures? And we're not talking about heartburn from a meal here. We're talking about a burning deep within them. A burning that can only be brought about because of of God, of Jesus, who is opening the Word to them. A burning that was in their heart. Because as they listened and as they began to understand, their hearts were changed. The source of God's illumination, His Word is the source that changes hearts, changes lives. Hearts that are are cold and dead are brought back to life. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We know Jesus talked about the deceit of the heart. He talked about in teaching that that the grime and the gross and the filthiness of a person's heart on the inside will come out on the outside even though people try to hide it. 
They wear the nice face, the good exteriors. They, they behave, they say the right things. But yet, hearts are black. Our hearts are black. Our hearts are wicked. They're proud. We are sinful. But all that was changed by God. All that was changed by Christ on the cross. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It would be removed. And and it's something that we can't do on our own. We can't change our hearts. We need the working of Christ in our lives. We need Scripture, God's Word, to penetrate deep inside to change our hearts so that we can be more and more like Him. And it's in the light of this truth, the light of God's word shining in the deepest, darkest places of our heart that brings about this change. We go from being dead to alive. It is a word that brings restoration and points us to our need for salvation. And the result of God's illumination is that we will then love Jesus and understand Scripture. We will love Jesus and understand Scripture. We saw the disciples had a need for illumination. We saw that that need for illumination was met through the source of illumination in God's Word. And now we find out what the result of that illumination is, that we will love Jesus. And in loving Jesus, it will be something that so saturates our lives and should saturate our lives to the point that we want to tell other people about Him. This is the disciples here. They didn't wait for morning to come. They didn't wait for the night to pass along. They didn't want to sit and talk anymore with one another about what had happened. It says that immediately, in that very hour, they got up and they went back to Jerusalem because they wanted to tell what it was that they had experienced, what that they knew that this was Jesus who appeared to them, one of three of the appearances that took place. They wanted to go back. That burning in their heart, that desire and love that came out was there to tell others about Christ. They wanted to bring the good news concerning Him. They wanted that gospel message to go out, that Jesus, who had died on the cross for their sins, He was buried, but now He rose again. He was back to life on that third day. And for us, it means life as well. His life means our life. It means that when we are dead in sin, that we have life because of what Christ did on the cross in His in his suffering, of what he did in his life, and his preaching, and his teaching of the word, and what he accomplished in his burial, because without a burial, there's no resurrection. Of hanging on the cross and taking the penalty that we deserved so that we might repent of our sins and come to know him. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way about repentance. It's that illumination is where God opens our eyes to the horrible enormity of our sin. Humiliation is where we lay aside our pride and our own merit and plead for God for mercy. And there's detestation where, where we begin to hate our sin and transformation, where we leave the sin we formerly loved, not just outwardly, but in our hearts. There's a heart change that takes place. We come before the Lord, we confess our sins, we say, Jesus, I need you to change my heart. I need we need a new, a new life. And if we believe in Him, if we hope in Him, if we put our trust in the things that He's taught us in Scripture, in what He did for us on the cross, then we will be changed. And as we come this morning, when we take this bread, 
for those that know Jesus, for those who have put their hope and faith and trust in Him, we can take this as a symbol of what He did in His body being crushed and His blood that was spilt. Loving Jesus will help us to turn our hearts towards Him, turn away from our sin. And loving Jesus will also show, come out in our lives and the things that we say. This new life that we receive will be seen by others and they'll wonder, what is different about you? How come you're different? A while back I had an opportunity to speak at... um, one of our men's breakfasts, and I shared a story about my nephew. When he was six years old, he's, he's 11 now, so it's been some years, was uh, in the car with his mom, who's not a believer, and, and his aunt, um, not Shelly, but uh, his, his other aunt. And as they were driving along, they saw a bumper sticker on a car that said, Jesus Freak. And being inquisitive about what that meant, and uh, his mom helping that along a little bit, who wasn't the believer, saying, ah, those Jesus freaks, they shouldn't be driving on the road. He says, what's a Jesus freak? Fair question, I think. And the other, the, 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 his aunt who was with him, who was a believer, said, well, a Jesus freak is really a Jesus guy. It's a guy that, that loves Jesus and it shows in the life and the things that he does in his life. As he sat there and pondered it for a moment, he said, you know, Uncle Doug's a Jesus guy. And when I heard that, at first there was this pride. Yeah, I followed Jesus. Jesus is seen in my life. Isn't that wonderful? But then I had to take a step back and think, wait a minute. That was a big responsibility right there. That he had labeled me something that hopefully would show in my life. And it would show in my life not because of the things that I do or on my own merit or my own goodness, but only because of the goodness and the righteousness that Christ has given because of his goodness and righteousness towards us that it can be seen in my heart and life and that's something we all desperately need to be showing who Christ is not by oftentimes going out and preaching the word to people but by showing him that he makes a difference in your life that you do have a changed heart and having a changed heart is something that sometimes people try to fake they try to cover up and and something for myself, I know when I came to Jesus, it was, it was maybe not the most dra- dramatic experience because in my life I had never struggled with drugs or with alcohol. I was 13 when I came to Christ, so I'm fortunate not to have struggled then or afterwards. But I was a good kid. I went to church. I was born on Saturday and church on Sunday. I did all the things you were supposed to do in order to be getting the stickers for your verses and all that stuff. I was a good kid. But as I was touched by Jesus, as I had my heart changed, I realized that it wasn't going to be my goodness that was going to get me to heaven. The only way I was going to be there was because of the goodness of Christ. And that change in my heart and life took place. It wasn't dramatic. I didn't go from being the worst, most detestable sinner that there was to this suddenly new person. But I knew I was different. I knew in my heart that a change should take place And at the testimony of of my nephew, it was seen. And I'm thankful for God for that. I'm thankful for Christ that He makes me to look more and more like Him.
that he shows in my daily life. And now as a result of God's illumination, not only will Jesus show in our daily lives, but we will understand God's word. We will have a more fuller understanding of the things that he teaches. When we put our faith and our hope into Jesus, we go from death to life and we are given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to help us understand his word. It enables us to to know the things that Jesus are teaching, to apply them to our lives, to be able to use those so that we might grow more and more into his likeness. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural man does not understand this. He cannot understand it when he was. It's, it's only through the illumination that is brought about by Scripture that the Holy Spirit works that we know the truth of God. We know the truth of His Word. And when we know the truth of His Word of Scripture, it will help us to recognize false teaching. There are all kinds of people out there who, who are teaching things that are contrary to God's Word. We see these taking place in cultivative form. And, and the way they do it is just to provide maybe a little bit of the truth, a partial understanding of God's Word, to the point to where it sounds believable because there has been some of God's Word sprinkled into it. But we, as we understand God's Word, will also understand where the truth is hidden and that they are hiding the truth. It's Satan's greatest way of working. That's how Eve was deceived in the garden. Just a little bit of truth was sprinkled in to the lie that he told. It was how Jesus was was challenged in the desert, in the wilderness there after fasting. Satan threw just enough of Scripture in there to try to get him to stumble. But knowing all of Scripture will point out these false things, these false teachings and will help us to be able to stand against them. And the other thing that Scripture does for us, the truth of Scripture, it will help us to see the world as God sees it. Because we're immersed in it, because we're a part of it, and because we are interacting with it on a daily basis, there are often times where we don't recognize the things that God does. We don't see the people who are in hurt and who are needing Christ. We don't see people and their sin that is there. Instead, We go about our business not really looking for opportunities to share the word with them. But we need to see the world as God sees it, through His eyes, and Scripture helps us do that. It's unfolded before us so that we can look and know the things that break His heart so that we might bring to them that Scripture that we have, that understanding, that clarity that they need in order to follow Him. And one of the final things that knowing Scripture does for us, it helps us to testify of the hope that we have that is within us. It's a testimony to who God is. What He's doing in our lives. How He has changed us. And the interesting thing is, is that when we understand Scripture more, it helps us to love Jesus more. And then when we love Jesus more, it helps us to understand Scripture more. And when we understand Scripture more, it helps us to love Jesus more. And when we love Jesus more, we, we understand Scripture more. Because we want to be in His Word. That love that He has poured out upon us is something that we want to, to go back to over and over again and read it in Scripture so that we might be effective, effective in our testimonies to others effective in ministries that we participate in here at church, in the way we serve one another, in the way we love one another. 
It's a cyclical response that takes place so that we might understand Scripture, so that we might love Jesus more. Lord God, we thank You for this time that You've given us to be here, to be in Your Word and to know and understand more fully, I pray, and completely who You are on all of Scripture. And Lord, as we have the opportunity to come to the table here, celebrating, recognizing the bread and the cup that You will just... Lord, help us to see our need for You more. Lord, we thank You and love You and pray because of Jesus. Amen.